You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about the Rolling Stones' Beggar's Banquet. In the room, I have Rob, Mm -hmm. Adam, Mm -hmm. and Ben. Hello. Beggar's Banquet is the seventh British and ninth American studio album by the English rock band The Rolling Stones. It was released in December 6th, 1968 by Decca Records in the UK and London Records in the US. The producer was Jimmy Miller, and the genre is roots rock, country blues, hard rock. After a brief flirtation with the psychedelic pop that was their 1967 album, Their Satanic Majesty's Request, the Rolling Stones returned to Roots Rock with the widely acclaimed Beggar's Banquet. This was the start of the prolific period in which the Rolling Stones would become the biggest rock band of the 1970s and perhaps history. Their raw, bluesy, overdriven Delta Blues licks and slide guitar fit perfectly with Mick Jagger's leering, over-sexualized vocals that cut like a knife over African drum beats. Not to be overlooked was the perfectly placed piano melodies of Nicky Hopkins. While Mick Jagger was writing some of his best material and Keith Richards was having a breakthrough with an open G tuning on the guitar, the Stones' other guitarist, Brian Jones, was having a breakdown due to substance abuse. It was so bad that when he did eventually show up to the studio, he was so out of it that the other members had to turn him away. The songs created a new plateau for the group, from the politically charged revolutionary protest song Street Fighting Man to the tribal drumming of Sympathy for the Devil, the blue-collar anthem Salt of the Earth, and the super sleazy Straight Cat Blues. This was a high point for the Stones' brand of blues rock and roll that they would continue with great success for the next decade. The Chicago Sun-Times declared the Stones have unleashed their rawest, rudest, and most arrogant, most savage record yet, and it's beautiful. All right, what do we think of Beggar's Banquet? Now that's what I call Rolling Stones. Yes. Yeah. This is the first Stones record that you can just say classic. That's the Stones. That's really is? Yes. For real? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, you didn't like it. I like two to three songs off this record, and wow. I think the rest is kind of fucking boring. Tell me which songs, and then we'll get to the rest. Cool. <laughs> Sympathy for the Devil. Classic. Cold Jam. Yeah. Cool Afrobeat. Street Fighting Man. Straight Up Banger. Um, Straight Cat Blues was 
all right, but it also has the same lick from Take the Money and Run, so I can't. Like, I know it came first, but I, I can't disassociate. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen the, in those, rock and those roll. Things. Um, and, uh, and Dear Doctor, like, just kind of felt like it was, like, grabbing some buck owens and i i was i was okay with that but uh yeah most part not, not, i mean it's really. grabbing blues it's oh no sorry sorry a, uh, uh that dear doctor's pretty fa- country fa- that's true. actually factory yeah. girl i think might be my favorite song on the record oh cool um, yeah uh but no like no expectations it doesn't it doesn't grab me um jigsaw puzzle sucks like straight up not a very good r- song uh, um, hmm. I, I, bit, that I, one was probably the only week, not a little bit weak. Not great. I don't think parachute one was that hot either. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I it there's there are so many really really great Stones records that we're not quite to yet. And this this has some some solid tracks on it, but as a whole, I I I don't think it deserves the uh, the laurels. Um, Person, I mean, again, personal opinion. Like this is the third time I've listened to it today, right now, and like I'm, I, I still feel pretty confident in my, uh, my thought on it. But I, I'd love to hear a lot of rebuttals. That I I'm think that this is the beginning of the Stones kind of coming into their own. Uh, like Stones have a lot of good music leading up to this. Uh, they've got some classic music leading up to this, but at least me personally, when I think of Rolling Stones, I think of like like 68 to 73 like beggar's banquet let it bleed sticky fingers uh exile on main street yeah like, wow like that's stones god that's all in five years i just yeah. never thought of it like that do you think brian jones dying was one of the reasons why uh they moved the direction that they did because uh, who, who was it the dude from the faces that picked up his slack Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood eventually, I think before, wasn't it Mick Taylor before Ronnie Wood? Oh, like for, a, for a brief moment yeah, there. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. But uh, even even Brian Jones, because Brian Jones isn't dead yet, he's just I, I know not he's, really that well represented on this record. And he's got a I'm, couple tracks he I'm plays on on the next record as well. Yeah, um, his, <clears throat> Let It Bleed was released after he died, but he, did, he was on a few tracks. I was reading, I read a quote from... Uh, the producer Jimmy Miller, uh, regarding Brian Jones's involvement with this, I, I can't quote it verbatim. But he's talking about how Brian Jones just—he wouldn't be around, and no one was really wondering where's Brian Jones. But then every once in a while, it's like Brian Jones would feel like showing up. Like the the anecdote that uh, Jimmy Miller gave was like, so maybe Brian Jones is out on the town and he buys himself a new sitar. And so then he checks the, this calendar to see if the Stones are recording that day. He's like, oh, Stones are recording that day. I'm going to bring in my new sitar. So he walked in, and regardless of what the, the band <laughs> had been there all week, regardless of what they were doing, he's like, hey, I'm going to lay down some sitar tracks. But they might have been working on, like, you know, like Stray Cat Blues or yeah. something like that. So they would just play him. They'd be like, okay. And they put him in, like, an isolation booth, and he'd be playing sitar, and they would not be recording it. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, and sometimes they would just turn them away. He like the sitars feature pretty prominently on Factory Girl, so apparently that was a. Well, I guess he got some sitar in. Uh, that was a it's also in Street Fighting Man, mm-hmm. which is surprising because I know how much you hate the sitar. <laughs> and Street that's it blew me away because I was like, oh right, sitars in Street Fighting Man, and I was like, that's 
It's amazing. It's actually a really cool application. It is. Yeah. yeah it, 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 they found a a use for it. A, that well, probably mesh. came from his. It honestly probably came from him being so fucking out of it, <laughs> and that they're just like trying to make it work. Like, yeah, this kind of works. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's the kind of video that you just like. You wouldn't like. Who would have written that song? Which, like you said, it's a banger. I mean, it's it, that is a rock song. It's it's like you know, really pounding. It's a stomper. Like, nobody would be like, sitar is the right instrument for this. But if it's the sort of, like, happy accident that only comes from, like, somebody not being totally with it. <laughs> it's it's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Or somebody trying to, like, destroy a song. That's another way you can do it, is that, like, if you have a song, you're like, it's too this, and we already do enough mm-hmm. of this. How do we mess it up a bit? That's the only other way you can get a sound like that. But it's, it sounds like an interesting... Like, sounds like he just showed up and they just tried to figure out something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wanted to, uh, since I put it in my intro, I wanted to mention that Nicky Hopkins, the piano parts on a lot of these songs are so understated and you never, uh, this was one of the first times, you know, we're really sitting down and listening hard to these albums, you know, the recordings and how it sounds. And I don't even remember half the piano parts that were played in these songs. Yeah. And, and when I went back and I was like, wow, Sounds good. Sympathy for the Devil, you know, it's just got simple melodies, but it's perfectly placed to fit right in yep. with that sort of like bluesy rock. And it, yeah, just, it works. A little saloony. Nicky yeah. Hopkins um, was like a session gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he played with The Who and um, I looked at his, the, the cr- his credentials. He's, well. he's played with yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. I had a couple things about this record. Um, I disagree with with Rob. Well, maybe maybe it's not it's not like a counterpoint. Even I, I really enjoyed this record. Um, I thought that the bluesy stuff was had a lot of personality, and mm. I think my argument would be that um, they one of the reasons that this record works for me in ways that like, for example, traffic or like blues breakers or any of that stuff that we've listened to. That's this British blues invasion stuff. Uh, these records aren't afraid to be like dirty and like, like for example, there's a lot of string noise. There's a lot of like, you know, just little like slightly imperfect performances. Yeah. Sounds like this podcast. And if you listen, well, <laughs> yeah. but if you listen to the, so these guys so are so brave. <laughs> and I also want to talk about it in the same way about the, the idea of the cultural appropriation where these guys were very vocal about who their influences were and who their idols were. They're fanboys. You watched them interviewed a few years ago in those documentaries that I am trying to remember who, like who did the most recent one, not Scorsese, but the one after that. Um, but, it was like Jim Jarmusch or somebody did one. And they are such fans still into their 70s of the blues guys like Bo Diddley or, you know, their influences. And they are totally willing to tell you exactly what they're trying to do and how they wanted to bring it to a wider audience. And they brought those acts on tour. Wider or whiter? <laughs> well, in England, it's both. <laughs> yeah. But they... They've been really, I think, upfront about like where they came from, what they wanted to be, who they were borrowing from, and they ended up bringing a lot of those acts out, you know, on tour and pr- promoting them. They continue to promote them, uh, and so I guess what I'm saying is that like when I hear a record like this where there's all these like funky little weird hits and performances that are imperfect, it makes me realize like they really do like the heart of the blues, which is that it's a little off. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a little dark, and it's a little like gritty and nasty rough around the edges rough around the edges and the the fact that even as these white boys from england that they still produced their records that way seven albums or nine depending on the u.s or england in like it shows that that's where their heart's at and that i found that really charming i found it true Take me to the station And put me on a train I've got no expectations To pass through here again I find, I think that you might be, uh, an, uh, you, you, very good point. Um, Thanks. But, <laughs> two, two points. It just came off as genuine. Yeah, well, two, two points. Uh, specifically, the, the song Prodigal Son, mm-hmm. um, I, I wrote down. Which is, is a cover. Is Blue's face a thing because this is offensive? Like, the fucking tone that Jagger's taking on that sounds like an offensive take on a blues man. Just because I'm looking to be Trying offended, to clearly. Um, well, if you want to jump to it, please be my guest. Yeah, um, I think I'd like that. But um, the other thing... Yeah, that's uh, Robert uh, yeah. Wilkins. That's oh, yeah. the, the only cover on here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But the, the, just listen to the affectation. It's not okay. It's not pleasant on the ears. Okay. okay. To me, at least. Um, Good enough. The other, uh, other spot is, like, you know... Mm, this is this, I'm, I'm just gonna come off sounding like a dick, which no, is, I guess I guess no more. Um, the the like the idea of the blues, yeah. Why one has the blues, yeah, and what you're trying to get off your chest when you have the blues. I have a hard time thinking that these young twenties millionaires had anything to have the blues about. They that's had not always everything. what it's about, though. I think that they actually made it really. That's why I like. That's what I like about them is that they just told you who they admire and that they wanted to make music like them. I just. I think there's something about that that's like so. It's not like I remember. I re- once read this thing about the Killers, who they were like trying to compare themselves to like Bruce Springsteen, and they were like saying like we're like the most important band of the 2000s, and, and it's like, oh boy. guys. You don't matter. I'm sorry, but like you do not matter. That was a sum. Like, Rob's band. Uh, but uh, no, but it's just like that. Like you are no Bruce Springsteen, you know. And it's like, and these guys you said, who are actually an important, massively important band. Uh, I feel like they're always talking about the stuff that, that made them who they are. Hmm. And and I, there's something about that that I I think. Uh, I think they just wanted to, they heard the blues, they said, this shit is incredible, how can we do this our way? Uh, and I don't, I don't think they ever really stopped honoring it in their way. And I, and I, you'll rarely hear me say that about a bunch of like white boys playing, you know, appropriated music, but I think they actually, they still sell that idea that they just, this is what they like, they yeah. still like it. 
All I'm thinking they of also, right now is Jagger and Bowie doing dancing in the street. Like, <laughs> my, my brain goes immediately to that, and I'm going to shut up now. Ben looks I'm, like he has something to say. The, <laughs> it's worth uh, the blues, the bluesy type stuff that they're doing on this record is sounds different from the the blues type stuff that they are doing on like Rolling Stones by the Rolling Stones. Like even like the cover, like even Prodigal Son, they're taking it way more rootsy and they're taking it way more dirt road country yeah which i think's cool yeah it, they're taking it further away from dentists and republican uncles <laughs> <laughs> and that's why that's what i gotta say about the blues let's just right. acknowledge keith richards not the greatest guitar player i mean yeah. maybe he might be the most you know sought after he probably wrote the most riffs maybe Mm-hmm. But as far as soloing, that was one thing I, I, I did write down, you know, Sympathy for the Devil. Well, that solo is actually not so, not well, so great, but it is literally his, the tone and his attitude that makes that solo a, an amazing solo, a great solo. Mick Jagger is not a great singer. Yeah. Like, that's, the, I mean, that's the thing is like... Why are we listening to this band then? Because they they're stink. a great band. <laughs> yeah. They are a great band. I think it's just, it just works. It just like, that's the thing is like, I, I think, you know, we, we also recently have listened to Traffic. It's like, there's an example of what doesn't work. It's like a bunch of people who can play and make everything sound. They have the really nice gear. They make it sound really pristine and clear, but they just do it with no anything that matters, no bravado, no guts, no creativity, no no anything. Yeah. And then you hear these guys like just basically just being fans of this music and doing their take on it, but doing it with 100% heart. And suddenly it's like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, it's a lot it's of style. A- I mean... Style but, points, man. But, yeah. It's your Devo huge, comment all huge, over again. Huge style. You know, we we've been focusing pretty heavily on like their more bluesy tracks in this album, but this album is a lot more than just like a blues tribute. Yeah, you know, it's pushing. It's. I think it, I think it's worth noting that I don't hear any psychedelia on this record, and I love that. Very refreshing. It has been a long time, guys. It was 1967 is a long year. <laughs> yeah, some might say the longest year. <laughs> yeah, and just uh, and I know that this album came out in December of '68, but for some reason the book has it as the first album we talk about in '68. Uh, regardless, it's it's refreshing. It's it's you know the the, the Stones they 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 dabbled with psychedelia for one album. Yeah, and there's a couple of good tracks on it. Yeah, but I think that everyone, including the Rolling Stones, realized simultaneously, "Oh, we're not a psychedelic band," and and they brought it back. And when and when they brought it back, this Rolling Stones sound, it was even more realized and developed than like they figured out who they were. <laughs> yes, yes, huh. and it's you know it's the beginning of like a nice little golden era for five albums is. Or you yeah. mentioned five, right? Or four or five? Well, four, unless you count Exile as two. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of... I mean, that's not just a little era. That is a lifetime of good work. Yeah. I mean, there are people who made it into this book that made, like, one okay record that, like, somehow are being held up. You know, it's like... at that, And not all those records, I think, are in here. 
if all four of those records aren't in here, I'm going to have something to say. Come <laughs> well, I think we've already covered I do have to tattoo, mention too tattoo you. when you start <laughs> when you start an album, please just start with like a kick-ass song, people. Yeah, this shows how it works. Holy mm-hmm. shit! Yeah. Six minutes of a killer song, and it yeah. doesn't feel like six minutes. It no. feels like three. Exactly. Oppo- it's the opposite traffic effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that song was as long as it is Neither until until like I was looking at the listing. Because when the song's good, you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... yeah. We're listening to Street Fighting Man right now in our headphones. And I think a cool thing about this song is if, like, most people are familiar with the song Street Fighting Man. They've heard it before. Most people aren't currently listening to it right now. But if you just think about, think about your memories of the song Street Fighting Man, you're not thinking that it is all acoustic. Like this song, it's a, it's a banger. It is. This is a yep. hard rock song, and there's there's not an electric guitar on the track. That's and that's cool. So that's actually something that I I do notice, and that's one of the things that like I have actually noticed that sometimes the songs that I think rock the hardest do that. And like I mean, I've got a record coming out this week, and the the most aggressive song on the record, I just play acoustic guitar on. That's awesome. And it's like, and it's because I've started to notice that sometimes. That electric guitar wash, just it just makes it, um, it just fills in the space too much. But like when you when you hear that just like it's chunking along that sound of an yeah. acoustic guitar, it sounds so big sometimes yeah. for the right song. It's definitely they, they do they, that. They really recorded well. it big. I'm sure they doubled it, tripled it, whatever. They it sounds it sounds it, huge. Put it through a tape recorder. They wanted a certain sound, and he put it into. Um, wow, that's awesome. I think he recorded the acoustic into a tape recorder and then played back the tape recorder oh, weird. to so record it's like it. Processed. I yeah, it. and yeah. I think it was one of the it's called one of the first uses of, you know, like modern technology of being able to record it and then just play it on the spot kind of situation. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Actually it occurs to me that I blended an acoustic with putting that I played the acoustic and this took the same uh, performance and also had it running through a 1965 Ampeg Gemini. So an acoustic guitar through an electric amp mm-hmm. to get it just a bit more edge. Uh, but I mean, there's there's so many techniques like that that you can use while still playing an acoustic instrument that can just give you something different than just that same old electric sound. Yeah. And, and that's so just to f- in further defense of this record, it's that kind of technique that you never hear on records by the guys who are doing like, 
you're never gonna hear that on like um Eric Clapton record. You're never gonna hear that on Steve Winwood. You know, like those guys, they just want it. To, they want Tone Town. They want like that really yeah. nice sounding everything. And these guys, Rolling Stones, just not not only aren't afraid to get dirty, they want it dirty. Yeah. Like, and I love that about them. You know, it's that in the red kind of sound. And mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to go on the record of saying that I dislike it when people use the studio as an instrument. <laughs> I believe you're on the record already. <laughs> uh, there was some Get backlash fucked. on uh, Street Fighting Man. What? Obviously, obviously 1968. Because of the yeah, it was uh, so close after the uh, Detroit... Um, that would have been the white flight. Or, or not the Detroit, excuse me, uh, Chicago. Oh, okay, the riots? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, 68, I think, was white flight in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Basically Democratic National the Convention mm-hmm. in 1968. And there was uh, people that were like, they didn't want to play play the song because they thought it was, you know, would cause some riots. And I, uh, well, what ja- can a poor boy do exactly. except for singing a rock and roll band? <laughs> and Jagger is, you oh know, sta- stated as saying, I wish our songs could cause riots. I would, <laughs> I would gladly do that and I'll come play your town because we're more riot. Yeah, we'll cause more riots when we come play your town. Fast forward, what, six months to Ultima? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But that's the Hells Angels, the, yeah. the deaths. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, obviously, many people, including Bruce Springsteen, commented, you know, Street Fighting Man is one of the best songs. That one line, what can poor boy do but sing in rock and roll band? I mean, yeah, even how the record opens with, uh, I'm a man of uh, wealth and taste. I mean, just... Just great, memorable lines, that, and also that very anti-establishment, and, you know, class stuff. Yeah, it's just like very. I don't know. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of good it's stuff. It's straight in there. ahead being. It, it, it's straight ahead in its counterculture attitude without yeah. being the the like floaty hippie, you know, psychedelic oh, stuff. Steve. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's what gets me about that hippy dippy <laughs> stuff. That hippy dippy stuff, like that we've been mm-hmm. just inundated with, sounds. Like even though they're like they think that they're like, you know, I'm counterculture. It sounds square. Yeah. It's like that's what's so crazy about it is that it's like, oh, you guys think you're like edgy. Oh, okay, all right. It, when when I hear it, yeah. as a, you know, through the lens of time, yeah, I, I hear it and I just think like I can't believe these people thought that they were like changing the world or something. <laughs> I just I don't believe that they you, still think I don't that. believe that you are changing the world. You know, I just don't believe it. Like people who take chances change the world. Yeah, like the the Velvet Underground. That's I was, right. I was gonna yeah. say if you want to be out there, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of people who pave the way. People yeah. who take chances. People who make risky choices. People who come Did up you with say new techniques. Choices. <laughs> I should have. But Are you talking about whiskey? Also, I, I also, like some. Seriously, Springsteen and Salt of the Earth. I mean, come on. That guy had to be listening to this album Mm -hmm. how many times a day? Yeah. yeah. 20 times a day? Yeah. I read something interesting today. This album, up until it was, it was remastered. Oh. Oh, yeah. It it is raining cats and dogs outside. I have two scared dogs inside (laughs) of bed right now at home. I'm sure this album's been remastered a handful of times, but it was remastered in the early 2000s, like 2002, 2003. And it was not until then that someone noticed that we had been 
that the world had been listening to this album at the at the wrong speed for the last like 35 40 years what? it's it was we're it's slightly too slow if you have if you have uh like the remastered version from the early 2000s it's very slightly too slow the album is about 30 seconds shorter it was just one of those tape things yeah all right do we even have to ask about how well i guess we do how does everybody feel? I'm on the complete positive. This is the beginning of the Stones uh, being a blues fan, too. They're pulling in the blues that I feel like is completely different from anything that Howlin' Wolf or all the all those other, you know, 60s blues bands were, were doing at the time. Magic Sam, any of that stuff. Like, they're on the next level of this sort of, like, country southern bluesy rock guitar sort of thing and great attitude what do you think rob i neutral maybe i i I don't think that there's enough bangers to justify the record being a thing that you must listen to there's a couple of really great songs on it but to to my ears i'd say uh you know wait a year okay I think it's a big plus for me uh, just because I think it's so refreshing for the time. And it's just nice to hear something that feels more creative. Uh, Like it's, yeah, it's a reinterpretation, but it's just like, it's just nice to hear with all the mining going on at this era where people are just like, there's so much like bandwagon happening right now in this time in history. And these guys are just sticking to their guns and they're saying, we like the blues and and they're doing their own thing with it. And they're just doing it with full commitment. I, it's a big plus for me. I, I, I love this record. Uh, I think it's the perfect palate cleanser from the summer of love. Uh, you know, I guess, although it's like 18 months later than the summer of love, uh, two babies could have been born in that two, time. Two babies could have been born. <laughs> two love children. I like that they they pull they pull in the blues without being necessarily entirely derivative. They pull in country without losing the grit, and in doing so, they're they're pushing forward the evolution of rock and roll. And I think that it's. It's not my very favorite Stones record. Those are still to come, but this is like the beginning of the good stuff for me. Yeah. 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 And I I think Rob and I gave a hard hard time to the Stones, especially for this book for picking up the first first album, which I felt was just kind of, you know, their cover of that blues stuff. There's no denying that this album is just far and above like far beyond where they were then. Mm-hmm. And that's only in a, you know, couple years. Yeah. Yeah, right. So a lot of albums, though. <laughs> good for them. <laughs> That'll do it for this one. Next time we'll be talking about Traffic's self-titled album. All right, thanks, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.